Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Lower Decks edition, and I'm your host, Michael Flores. I apologize, we are delayed with our releases. We had a bit of illness plague the studio, and we are desperately trying to recover. I believe it's the Vulcan flu. Is that correct, David? Yeah, it might be the Vulcan flu. Hopefully, it's not Ponfar. Oh, hopefully. It is. <laughs> it is. In fact, you know what? That was what DePaul had when I was visiting her. And uh, I probably <laughs> actually got a Vulcan STD. <laughs> you, if you found out oh, wait, that. Am I saying DePaul gave me an STD? That, that's, uh, that's so horrible of me. That's she, so horrible. She's, too, she's clean. She has no STDs. <laughs> but if she, if she wasn't pond far, you'd be first in line, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. You would have stabbed Tucker in the back yeah. for that one. Uh, I'll. I'll Pan far you. <laughs> I will pan far if you need you. that from me, I'll do that. I won't do it very well, but I try. I try. Okay, Dave. So enough of this nonsense. If you listeners out there are new, you're probably running from this broadcast. You probably quit listening after that intro. However, if you stayed, we do cover a wide variety of Star Trek content, and you can find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search from the holodeck. Our preferred podcast provider is iTunes, and we'd love for you to give us a five-star rating. It does help us trigger the algorithms needed in order for more viewers to see our show, so please do so. All right, so in the studio with me, of course, is Ensign David Sabal. Hello, David. Yep, Lower Decks rocks. (laughs) Yeah, what a great episode. (laughs) Number one, I knew we were in for a treat when the name of the episode was in Klingon. I know. I don't think Star Trek has ever done that before. We've had Star Trek names as titles, but actual, the, the Klingon language, which I know there's a name for, and I'm not that big of a nerd, so I cannot, I'm a huge Star Trek nerd, but I'm not that type of Star Trek nerd. Unfortunately, I do not know the language, the Klingon language, and I don't know how to pronounce the name of the Klingon language. However, I will say that is the first time we saw that used as a title. And dude, this again is Mike McMahon taking his big oh yeah dick swinging self. He's taking his big Star Trek penis and then slamming it on the table, going, "Well, yeah, <laughs> well. <laughs> you're absolutely right. And, That's exactly like, what he's doing." And like Discovery's like getting really intimidated, and Picard's in the you know the Picard crew is in the corner crying. <laughs> I don't think they are because they're probably not paying attention to this show. But if they did, David, they would be all crying over how girthy Mike McMahon's Star Trek penis really is. <laughs> because like, there's oh, a lot. It hurts. It hurts. <laughs> it hurts. Or Kurtzman's all like, I like it, though. It I, like it, I like though. it. I like it, though. Something's wrong here. All right. So the title translated to a language that I can pronounce, Three Ships. That's the actual title when you translate it. 
So we are talking about the penultimate episode of Lower Decks. This was an interesting episode. It reminded me of last season's penultimate episode titled Crisis Point. That was the holodeck episode. Yes. The episode that we're talking about today is written pretty similar to that one. In a lot of ways, it's like a mini Star Trek film. It really is. action to the development that we were given for our characters to even the musical choices or even the musical cues where they choose to strike up the music. Even more so in this episode. Did you, have you noticed yeah, that's what that? I'm talking about? Yeah. I mean, like it's, it's something that just as Laura Dix is going, it keeps going throughout their season. It just boggles my mind that Mike McMahon and his team mm-hmm. really understand what it means to make your TV series feel like Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And there's many ways that it can actually unfold. I mean, the last episode had a certain, certain Star Trek vibe to it. But if you were to compare the last episode to this episode, while they're both very epic in, in the Star Trek vibes, they're both very different too. Yeah. No, I agree. It is interesting to see how Mike McMahon can churn out an episode that's 26 minutes. I believe that was the estimated running time and give us something that feels so satisfying. And the fact that it does feel like a mini Star Trek film, I feel like that's quite an accomplishment because there's a lot that goes into giving us those feelings, just like you had said. And I guess I'm going to reiterate he knows how to capture the vibe of Star Trek and not just because he's mimicking because any Joe Schmo can mimic a vibe, but he understands the vibe he's mimicking and yes. what he needs to do within that territory. And think about it, dude. I mean, compare Lower Decks to all of the other shows, especially with this episode. Mike McMahon was able to do one thing that none of the other shows was able to do. Give us not only a Federation story, give us a Klingon story, give us a Vulcan story, all in under 30 minutes. How? How is it that this man doesn't have, after this, more say? He needs to get more say in in like Star Trek series. Well, I don't disagree, but... We don't know how he would do with live action, but I will say I do agree with you with how well this episode was handed because setting aside the the obvious comedic moments that sometimes overshadow the show. And listen, this is a comedy, so it should overshadow. However, when you forget about the comedy for a moment and you just dig into the show and how it's written, and I'm talking about this episode specifically, there is sheer talent. There is an ability to tell a story that you normally don't see in a lot of cartoons. And people may argue saying, well, no, there's a story in this cartoon. Yes, I'm talking about American primetime cartoons. For the most part, they've all become very similar except for, say, Rick and Morty and a couple others. For the most part, they've all kind of fallen into their habits. The stories are essentially very formulaic. They follow a very strict or adhere to a very strict template. Here we have Mike Mann bending rules 
breaking the rules of cartoon or I should say animations and giving us something that feels like a sincere live action effort. I mean, he gave us an episode that worked as a piece of Trek in almost every way. It felt like a legitimate Trek episode that involved pack leads, Klingons, Vulcans, and it was designed. And this is the key here. It was designed around the concept of Lower Decks. Many times when shows try to do something a little different and, you know, for whatever reason, whether it be the penultimate episode or the season finale or premiere, or even let's say you're on season three or season five of your show. Many times a show needs to reinvent itself and it forgets its premise. Mike McMahon is not forgetting his premise. No matter how far he goes and how much Star Trek knowledge he wants to flex on us, he doesn't forget what the show's about. And it's about the lower decks. Yes. And I appreciate that even when we delved into other species like Klingons and Vulcans, he still kept with that premise of lower decks. Our Klingons and Vulcans were introduced into the episode via their lower decks equivalent. Yes. I thought that was fucking brilliant. Yeah. It's a genius maneuver because it, it's one of the things that I was really surprised with, with this episode that just by changing, just by doing, trying to do something unique, Mike McMahon was able to successfully give us an episode that had laughs, but actually, I don't know. It actually legitimately felt like a serious episode sometimes. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. And I wasn't expecting that from lower decks because like you would only expect this type of episode, say like in, in a, in a series like TNG where you would do the snap. Oh, here's what it's like with this crew member or this crew member or, or this alien species. Mm-hmm. We haven't gotten that in a long time. When you think about it, discovery itself, while the writing has been great, me and you have both an agreement that we both like discovery. However, it, it doesn't have that star Trek vibe of a, I, I hope I use the proper term episodic television show. You know, you have one full narrative that we're following throughout Discovery. Here in Lower Decks, they're like going, okay, we have our narrative, but here's a different story. Here's another story. This episode's going to feel different because we're going to actually focus on this story. To me, that's like classic Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And that's something that basically a lot of people say turns them off from some of the newer shows because a lot of the newer shows basically say, no, we have one set story. That is all you're going to get. Yeah. I I don't agree. I agree with your assessment. I don't agree with those people that say they have problems with the serialized version of Star Trek. I feel like they just don't like what is being given to them. So they choose to hate on the format of the show. Yeah. Because if it was everything they were they wanted and it was serialized, do you think they'd be complaining? No, no, no. I don't think so. Yeah. But there is merit to what you're saying, Dave. I do agree with you. In fact, we had voiced i don't want to say complaints but similar thoughts about discovery and even picard and it's a little bit of an oxymoron in my opinion and maybe we're even contradicting ourselves at times but we have said that discovery and picard feel claustrophobic sometimes it does not because of the serialized story and maybe it is a Uh, a symptom of the serial serialized storyline that they don't have leeway to go in certain ways. So we're confined to a very specific narrow view or narrow storyline that doesn't always give way to away missions or making ourselves, 
you know, or going to another vessel. I mean, when you have the episodic, you could have episodes where Riker pops on to a Klingon ship to act as first officer. Exactly. Or Jordy going on board the pack led ship or data being taken away by a collector. When you're held to a serialized story, you don't really have time for all of those distractions, I guess is what you can call them when you're discussing a serial serialized story. Whereas with, Lower Decks, because it's episodic, they still have the myth arc. They still have the emotional continuity, but they're able to broaden out and go to different places because they don't have to stay within the guidelines or the confines of a serialized narrative. Yeah, and that's that's a very impressive thing that I've been finding with Lower Decks because, like, Make no mistake, there. As funny as it sounds, especially after this episode, there is kind of like this weird main narrative that they're going around, especially with the the connection of the Klingons helping the Packlids. That's the myth arc, Dave. Yeah, right? like the show even has a fucking myth arc. It has a myth arc, and yet it's still able to do so many different other things. That I'm like going, we expect this type of work in our flagship shows. We expect it in flagship shows like Discovery, like Picard. And that's, you You could make the argument that that is why there's so much vitriol against some of those shows sure. because it's missing the vibe that Mike McMahon has been able to tap into. Familiarity. That makes, familiarity that yeah. makes us feel like, yeah, this is an actual legit Star Trek episode that we're watching. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the other thing that actually made me laugh was the ending credit sequence with the Borg, how they <laughs> showed the lower decks the lower version decks of, the, of Borg, the Borg, and there was no difference. Yeah, and I was like, going, I kept I waiting was expecting- for something, and the fact there was nothing there, dude, made me laugh even made me laugh even harder. Oh, when they went, when they cut the black, I was like, going, you sons of bitches. Hey, but at least we have a designation for lower decks. It's nine zero one eight two nine zero one eight two. That's yeah. the lower decks designation for the board. <laughs> That's and, awesome, and it's just so awesome because like it it really does show that Mike McMahon is very very strict on himself and knows about how to stick stick to his narratives that he's choosing yeah he's not getting distracted he's he not has a story distracted. that he wants to tell and he and he goes and he moves through with it there's no agenda that he's trying to push he's just trying to stick to his own story and do you notice that basically every time like star trek fan or star trek babies what i call them want to hate on lower decks mike mcmahon just proves them wrong at time and time are, again are there people hating on lower decks solely because it's still uh, lower decks is considered part of the kurtzman era yeah, okay so it's the people who just they just want to hate because they're the people that cannot see past their own desires at this point they exactly. hate kurtzman so they're going to hate anything he produces even if it's good anything are and those the people you're talking about exactly yeah, i don't understand those people man i don't because yeah, listen, I don't I don't get it, but because like if you were if people are giving Lower Decks a chance, I honestly feel that if there's a true honest to god Star Trek vibe show that you know can make all Star Trek fans happy, it's Lower Decks. Yeah. At this point, it's Lower Decks. Yeah. Because I- 
how many times have me and you have come in throughout the season and said, man, this feel, you know, Mike McMahon gets it. He gets the humor. Yeah. He gets, he, he gets not just the humor now, but in this episode alone, dude, he gets the tone. Well, not only that, Dave, yes, all those things, but without delving into negative territory, and I know you're going to start laughing because you're probably thinking the same thing. And I purposely did not mention to you, mention this to you before we started recording because I wanted to get your, your organic <laughs> initial reaction. Initial reaction. The animation was amazing. The starship, the starships looked gorgeous and crisp. It looked like cinematic quality. Yes. The render was stunning. And it makes me even more angry at the season finale <laughs> of Picard. Because a cartoon, David, a 26-minute cartoon is able to give us not just a better story than Picard. I'm being a little hyperbolic there, but it's to prove a point here. But also give us actual vessels that don't look like a blurred, muddy, copy and paste mess. Like they actually have some thought process into what a Star Trek ship should look like. There's defining shapes. Yes. The angular designs. It's all there with the vessels at the end of Picard's first season. It was literally a Photoshop copy and paste. I didn't want to mention this. Or clone because, stamp, I should say. Yes. And the fact that they gave us an actual action sequence that was reminiscent of the classic Star Trek films in almost every way, even with the Vulcan science vessel popping up at the last minute and blocking the phaser fire, of the pack led ship and saving the day, essentially. I mean, these are the moments, the, the, the Star Trek tropes that we've become accustomed to and to see it being used in a similar fashion also, but unique. And that's what I was going to bring up too, is not to throw fuel to the fire, no, Go ahead. but I actually went back and watched all the ship scenes mm -hmm. in, in throughout lower decks. Mm -hmm. They're a they're the only show, Mike. They're the only ones. Yes, Picard has has a few different ships, but Star Trek, you know, Star Trek ships that you would see in those manuals that as fans yeah. we would collect, every single ship that they have done feels like it belongs to that race. Yeah. And this this episode was kind of like the the big cherry on top because you look at the Vulcan ship. That looks like what us as Star Trek fans would associate a Vulcan ship to look like. Right. The Pakled ship. The Pakled ship looks like a Pakled ship. That yeah. is what we would expect a Pakled ship to look like. Each ship looks so different than each other that it had its own characteristics. The design matches a species. Yeah. Down which to, was always a big thing in Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. Down to the bird of prey. The bird of prey was different. I will say... In, in defense of Discovery, the reason why their Klingon vessels looked so different was because this is pre-Romulans handing designs to, to Klingons, Klingons, I believe. No, yeah. But, it, it, you know, I love Discovery and everything, and they try to do their best with their designs. I like Discovery's designs for the most part. But yeah. I don't think they have found those moments to do things like that. Though. Exactly. That's the thing you in all the time that me and you have watched discovery. 
we don't have those moments where we get to see the grand ships of different races. Season finale of Discovery season two. Season two. That was the, the closest two-part thing. two-part season finale. That was the closest thing. I believe it was a two-parter. Because yeah. we got to, but also that was kind of, you had not only the Federation ships, but you had like a bunch of those drones. Yeah. Here, you can make the argument Lower Decks has more variety of ships. And also, even though I loved that season of Discovery and the whole sequence leading up to the season finale, and I was very pleased with the season finale, you can also argue, I'm being objective here, you can also argue that those ship designs weren't necessarily classic Star Trek designs. You could. Whereas with Lower Decks, they're pulling on things that we're familiar with. And maybe that's just me having, you know, decades of Star Trek wants and, and desires. But, hey, I feel like a showrunner and writer, executive producer of a series or a franchise should deliver those as well. Listen, they can't be beholden to fans. They got to do their own thing. But at the same time, they got to realize, hey, we're actually playing in a sandbox that's been here long before us. So we can't just shit on it. And cover it up like a cat and hope no one smells, <laughs> smells the turd. It. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. So let's talk about characters. What happens when it comes to our characters? Because so far we have rambled on for 20 minutes about just the fun, cool elements, the Star Trek fan element. But when it comes to actual development, that's just another layer that makes this episode that much better. Boimler continues to work through more of his insecurities, insecurities. <laughs> by attempting to cozy up to Commander Ransom. He, need, he needs a, a bridge buddy. Yeah. And despite the funny antics, there was a nice little story there that not, that not only worked for Boimler, but also it gave us much. I'm losing my voice here. Talk for a second. Well, think about, think about this. The thing about Boimler that I really liked about this element was kind of reinforcing the fact that throughout this whole season, Boimler has been treated like, Oh, he, he came from Titan. Yeah. So he, he's actually, he's taken a level up from the crew. However, this episode showed that basically the, the cost of that was the fact that he never really got close to anybody on the bridge because why he was too busy trying to be on the Titan. And, and, and plus, he's a bit of a an odd duck. An odd duck. And like, you know, when you have all the elements that have been coming forth, you know, especially with Rutherford, you know. Who's Rutherford? Or not Rutherford. Uh, Rutherford. Are you slanging that up? <laughs> Rutherford. Rutherford. But Rutherford, you have literally all of the lower decks crew say, oh, yeah, I'm going to go hang out with this person because, of course, throughout the entire season, they've been getting close to those bridge crew members. Yeah. Meanwhile, Boimler, he's not been getting really close to anybody. And it, and this you know, character, I didn't even notice that until this episode. Yeah, this character that started off supposedly ahead of everybody is actually behind. Yeah, and at least with the rapport. The rapport. With the bridge crew, yeah. And, and the sadder part was at the end of the day, he tried to actually get close to Ransom. But that ended up blowing up in his face. The facial expressions they animate for that character, it just makes me laugh when he cut, walks into the holodeck and chooses to go along with the lie. He just makes a shit-eating grin, that he, and it says so much. It says, I'm nervous that I'm going to get caught, but I'm going to do this anyways. anyways. <laughs> it, 
there's so much thought that goes into the animation of these, you know, the way these characters emote. But what I was saying before I started to lose my voice is that not only what did the episode help a lot with Boimler's ongoing insecurities and to continue to flesh that aspect out, but we also got much needed development for Ransom. Ransom has been, I'd say mostly there for sheer comic relief. And that works for this show. The show's not about the bridge crew necessarily. It's about the lower decks. So it does work. But unfortunately, he hasn't really been a real character either. He's just there many times to be a douche. Yeah, he's he's a bit self-absorbed. So to see that he actually cares and he isn't actually completely self-absorbed, it helps with his characterization a ton. And I feel like it pulls him into the legitimate character territory. Finally, finally, yeah. he's not just there as this odd, non-important character. What do you really do? You're just there to flex and be the good looking guy, the crew. And now when you see that he actually went out of his way to make Boiler feel important by sending the, the new recruit to him to yes. ask him for assistance. That said a lot. About yeah. his character and who he really is deep down. I like that a lot. Oh, yeah. And that that really, do you realize how amazing it feels to look at the Lower Decks characters and realize that in three, let, let's say two seasons, let's say the full two seasons, we've gotten a actual bridge crew that we can actually point to and we all care about. I mean, Discovery, it took them two and a half, two and a half seasons because we didn't know anybody's name. <laughs> until yeah. like, And they even admitted that. They, and they, they, they knew that was a bit of a mistake. But Lower Decks, the crew of the Cerritos, I'm sorry, dude, they're actually turning into my favorite crew when it comes to when you look at this new era. And we have to say, hey, you know, like, are you part of like... Like back in the day when we say, "Hey TNG, are you are are you the TNG crew? Or are you the uh, do you, uh, are you like the Voyager crew? And You're the Lower Decks crew. This era, you are the Lower Decks crew. Wow, look at you, Dave. I, I I'm serious. I w- I want to get one of those shirts that Freeman was wearing that say the Ritos. I'll, I'll get because one. it was it was making fun of like uh, the disco shirt that yeah. Discovery was wearing because it was all hip. And all of a sudden, this one, they released, I kid you not, dude, I looked this up right before the show, a legitimate Rito shirt. I'll get that. On StarTrek.com. I'll get that. They did mention it in an interview. I want to say Mike McMahon did, because uh, he's doing like these 60-second Easter egg videos, him and the actor that plays Rutherford, I forgot his name, and he had mentioned that people had asked him why he doesn't pull any discovery references very often. And he said, well, he's always very different for us. He's a, we are pulling things that we have watched as a writing room for over 30 years. So these things just come naturally as we're writing. And we remember things from deep space nine and Voyager because it's been 30 years of rewatches with some of these shows. He's a, whereas discovery is so new, we haven't memorized it yet. So we don't have those aspects. And then he said, however, He's a one thing that I feel everyone understands or can uh, connect to discovery right off the bat is those shirts. 
is the disco shirt. So he said, so that's why I wanted to do a discovery nod. So I said, Ritos. And he's all, it's not nearly as cool looking because that's lower decks. He's all, we're never quite as cool. He's all, however, that was my nod to discovery. And dude, I will crack up if like, (laughs) if you look at the sales, what happens if the Rito shirt actually outsells? I'm going to buy one tonight. I didn't know they were for sale. Yes. Yeah. And also when it comes to the fun stuff pertaining to Boimler, I do know, I, I I did get a little, let me, let me backtrack. I'm getting all giddy now. I did get a little overly giddy about Boimler wearing a go climb a rock shirt. Yes. The same shirt that Kirk, uh, Star Trek five. Yes. And then of course, box rocket boots, the rocket boots, which when I was a kid, I wanted those so bad. <laughs> so that made me happy. Just little things like that. They are icing on the cake. For me, they're not needed in a show that's written this well, but that's what this show is about for many people. It's just those fan, those fun little fan service moments. So if he can deliver a solid script and those fan moments, then I'm, I'm a happy Star Trek fan. Oh yeah. And the, on, on top of that, that whole scene too was actually really cool because I like the fact that Tayana was not impressed. <laughs> with his hover boots oh. and, and Boimler's trying to impress anybody on the bridge crew and his hover boots just like conk out just like how, how, what happened in the, in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other portion of the episode uh, dealt with Freeman and Mariner's relationship, which almost felt like they brought the final bits of closure to that storyline. You get the idea that they accept each other's differences. Now they still annoy the fuck out of each other but they seem to have reached an understanding yeah almost like freeman finally accepts mariner is is different than her she's a different woman with a different path and she's blazing her own trail and freeman is okay with that does it feel like that's what was trying to be conveyed yeah i think so because like now since the beginning we've there's always been like this weird antagonistic relationship between Freeman and divisive and divisive, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and Freeman and uh, Mariner. But now in this episode, you do get a sense that it's a mother daughter relationship. Yeah. And it, this is the one time too, like that whole conversation between them in the holodeck, Mm -hmm. it legitimately felt like an honest conversation between a mother and daughter. Yeah. It's a little, you know, argumentative, but for me, I'm like, no, I can, I can legitimately now see them as mother and daughter now because of this dialogue, because you feel that the relationship has met this apex, like what yeah. you're saying, where yeah. they basically now understand each other. And it feels like they're probably going to move on from that aspect of the story. I think so too. It, it did definitely seem like, all right, we're going to put this to rest. If you guys didn't notice, they pretty much you know, made peace last season, but Hey, there's going to be some cling clinger honors, you know, some issues here and there, but now they've come to the realization that, Hey, guess what? There's going to be things we don't like about each other, but that's okay. We can still be a mother daughter and, and love and like each other for who we are. And I like the, the, it was a very Star Trek moment as well. Mm-hmm. And I like the, the consistent, uh, the, the continuity of it coming off of that last episode where they got to actually work together as a mother and daughter against that one trainer. And 
they outwitted the trainer together as a mother and daughter. And that was kind of like, you know, now we're at the, would you say, what's the proper term epilogue or prologue of their relationship? Like this is the kind of like the end of not the quote unquote end of the relationship, but the end of their character development with the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Now, David, you had mentioned this briefly and as if it wasn't enough story in a 26 minute episode already, everything we've discussed, we also were given more possibly, possibly closed out more on the lower decks myth arc. And on my show notes, I put question mark, question mark, question mark, because I guess you can officially call the pack leads the myth arc. It didn't really <laughs> dawn on yeah. me until this episode that yeah, I had mentioned that this is an ongoing threat throughout the season. Yes. But this is the myth arc. So there was a reveal that exposed who was behind the arming of the Packlets. And yeah. it was a rogue Klingon that was operating outside of the Empire and attempting to initiate a war. And that's what the bridge crew have been handing, hand, trying to handle all season, this pack-led threat, this rising pack-led threat. And that also came to a head in this episode. So not only did we have an entire, you know, season that had some fantastic character development, some great laughs, but also, Dave, there's a fucking myth arc. Yeah. And do you realize, dude, I was cracking up that the Klingon in charge has to do... Just to make sure to point out to the audience, us as Star Trek fans, that he's the villain. He speaks Shakespeare. <laughs> and I'm like, it. oh, come on. Yeah, it was good. Any Klingon who basically speaks Shakespeare is obviously evil. Well, you've never read Klingon. Or, oh, I fucked it up. Oh, you fucked it up. I fucked it up. <laughs> I'm going to go walk on hot coals to punish myself. <laughs> but like, You've never heard Shakespeare unless you've read it in Klingon. In Klingon. <laughs> But dude, I love the fact that we didn't, you, as an audience, I doubt anyone realized this because while this helps set like his overall myth, uh, his overall story and narrative about the themes of the lower decks, he continued a narrative that he introduced back on Titan because Riker was doing the investigation with Boimler trying to figure out how did the Packlets get these weapons. Right. And suddenly everything is meshing together. Everything is meshing together by the end. Yep. This is the sign of good writing. It really is because he's not forgetting anything. Yeah. I've enjoyed it. I will say this though. Could we be getting a Vulcan lower decks crew (laughs) based on how the episode ended? It does seem that way. And I would be okay with that because I've always loved myself some Vulcan ladies. Oh, but dude, think about the possibilities of bringing this particular Vulcan on with the Lower Decks crew. It would be a great to play opposite Mariner and Boimler is in the middle. (laughs) I think it would be really good. In fact, I didn't realize we were even missing a character like that until this episode. It just a little light bulb went off and I'm like, you know what? We need this type of character in Lower Decks. Not that the show is missing anything necessarily that to make it good. But, hey, listen, if you want to double down on Trek, where's our Vulcan character? Oh, and dude, in this episode, they went above and beyond with the Vulcan characters. Because I don't know about you, but, like, there was, like, this weird... I kept giggling and laughing at the Vulcan scenes, even though 
the way that they did the Vulcan like performances was so deadpan. It kept making me laugh because I'm like, going, yeah, this was what, you know, if we did a show of uh, a show just on a Vulcan crew, this is what you would get <laughs> because everyone would be deadpan and there'd be no emotion in any of the voices. Would that be a boring show? You think? Oh my God. That's what I was like thinking too. It's like, we've always said we would want Star Trek to go bring something new to the table. Remember what Quentin Tarantino said? He wanted to do something like different. I've been advocating for years, long before Kurtzman was even rumored to take control of the TV universe. I have been advocating for years that it would be really interesting to see a Star Trek series that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with Starfleet or the Federation. What if we dealt with a Klingon crew or a Romulan crew or a Vulcan crew? See, I think a Klingon crew would be interesting just because of the dynamic. I think it might get old (laughs) with everyone trying to kill each other. Yeah, Yeah, but who knows? I mean, we could always have a series that goes back and forth as well. Hey, we have a Federation crew and a Vulcan crew, and they both, you know, make up the bulk of the story every season. But yeah, by the end of the episode, though, especially with the Vulcan storyline, I'm like, okay, I know Mike McMahon does not, will not throw away stuff. He doesn't. Yeah. Because he's proven that he's, he has this myth arc that he's doing that everything matters. So you think the Vulcan lower decks officer is going to be making lower decks on the Cerritos debut? Especially when the captain of the Vulcan crew says that basically, oh, your, your hotshot ways will fit better on the Federation (laughs) side. And he does it so deadpan. Yeah. I had a feeling that's what he was going to do when she thought she was getting fired off the ship. And then she walked away. I was like, oh, he's going to put her on the Cerritos. Yes. Yeah. And and think about it. In Vulcan, by Vulcan definition, being put on a Federation ship is probably. It's a demotion. It's a bigger punishment yeah. than anything else. Yeah. But for the Starfleet crew, when that individual enters into Pan Far, it's a party. It's a party. <laughs> All right, this does bring us to the end of our discussion. David, give me your RMD score. Let's skip the final thoughts because we do need to cl- okay. because we do need to close out. Yeah, there's so much in this episode, dude. I came up with a 98 for this episode. All right. There's so many other things that we haven't covered. I thought the pack led bit of their lower decks was funny. Oh, yeah. Because it truly shows how stupid that race is. Dude, the name of the ship is pack led just like their planet is pack led <laughs> yes. And then their alarm was red alarm. Was red alarm? <laughs> it's so stupid. Oh, my God. It's so magnificent. All right. So, David, I'm going to be following you up with a slightly lower score, 97%. This episode was just great. It was fun and smart at the same time. All right. This does bring us to the end of our discussion. I do want to remind individuals out there to please head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Rayman Digital and pledge. When you pledge $3 or more a month, you'll gain access to, let's start with a $3 tier. When you pledge $3, you will gain access to all of our behind the scenes stuff specifically our pre-shows that we do pretty much before any episode discussion and we talk about latest star trek news some rumors that have popped up basically it's a casual mini show uh and when you pledge five dollars or more a month you'll gain access to our podcast here where you'll get everything in the three dollar tier as well as our 
additional podcast episodes of Star Trek from the Holodeck every single month. That's only available on our Patreon feed. So please, patreon.com slash Digital. Head over there. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.